Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 108 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Super excited to be back here on the pod. I know it's been a while for our loyal listeners. My name is Trevor Powers, and I am joined by my co-host, Dan Galati. Dan, how are we doing today? We've had a little hiatus here, but it's nice to be back here recording on the pod. Yeah, doing well. Uh, doing well. Happy to be back. Like you said, excited for this pod. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And there has been a a lot that's been going on around baseball. We're going to address a situation that, that quite frankly, I think Dan and I both agree we would rather not spend any more and waste any breath on more than we have to. And we're also going to address something that's been going around. It's big in the news, and we're going to give our opinions, give our takes on it. Um, And that's the Yankees minor league system and kind of some of the stuff that's been coming out uh, from Ben Ruda and foul territory. Um, They've been doing some interviews talking about some, some different things that are going on behind the scenes there. But first, uh, obviously, the probably more pressing news uh, across baseball is the Wander Franco situation. And I believe me and you were together on Sunday when a post was circling around social media and it had said something by the nature of Wander was being accused of having relationships with 14-year-old Uh, girls. Uh, Now, whether that was in America, Dominican Republic, doesn't really matter. It's a pretty cut and dry situation from there. Um, If there's concrete evidence, you're talking about a guy who's probably never going to play a a baseball game again in in major leagues. And, you know, it's something that I don't really have groundbreaking opinions on. I don't really have a take. I don't really have anything outside of it's wrong. It's not okay. It's not something that I enjoy talking about. It's not something we should be talking about on a fun baseball podcast that likes to talk about player development and building these rosters and things behind the scenes. So, Dan, I don't know if you have any thoughts, anything you 
really pressing things you want to get across. I know we just want to get it out there because we are a baseball podcast who does talk about these things. And, and this is pretty impactful in terms of a lot of things that go on in Tampa Bay at this point in time. So where, where's your head at with this? Yeah, it's a shame. Like you said, I, I'd rather not have to talk about it, but um, we kind of felt like we should at least address it. It's, it's, uh, it's a terrible situation. Uh, I think we're a long ways away from a resolution because, um, you know, the latest report by the AP was that uh, there's an investigation being uh, under, under, there's an investigation ongoing now, sorry, in the Dominican Republic where apparently at least one of these relationships took place. Um, it's shocking. It's a jarring thing. This is one of the brightest stars. You're talking about one of the most touted prospects in, in baseball history coming up through the organization. He, he breaks into the league. He's a teenager. He's now 22. He's uh, you know one of the best young bright stars in baseball as far as talent-wise. But um, part of it is is taking care of business off the field. Uh, and if this is true and, and, and we'll find out more and it certainly seems that way, you know, what a scumbag and he doesn't deserve to play anymore. Um, and he won't, obviously he's on administration administrative leave at least for six, six games. I think it's going to continue. They'll just re up it. And I don't, you know, we, I doubt we see him for the rest of this year unless something crazy happens, but it's one of those things where, you know, you don't want to speak too much until you have all the facts because, if all of this comes out and it's completely made up, then you don't want to have buried the guy. But if it's true, I mean, it's wrong. I mean, the guy should never, you know, never be allowed back in major league baseball and, and probably should be out of society for a little while. Cause I mean, it's similar to the Felipe Vasquez situation in 2019, right. Where it's just like, you know, goodbye. Uh, so yeah. uh, like it's unfortunate. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, and it's tough. It's a tough conversation to have because, again, we are not well-versed on what actually happened. We don't really know what's actually going on. We don't know what the evidence says. Wander Franco came out and was on Instagram Live and saying that it was not true, which obviously he's going to defend, defend, defend. Um, you know, he's going to save face here. And, you know, again, from the situation of the – that situation, I, I have nothing. I think from a baseball standpoint and just an overall standpoint is right now, I think it's been obviously well talked about on social media and what Wander Franco is the baseball player. Um, this is a huge, huge thing for major league baseball. This is a guy who was signed for 12 years with the Tampa Bay Rays. He was supposed to be a staple of their franchise. He's a guy who was arguably one of the most talented under 23 players in the world, maybe even the most talented under 23 player in the world. Uh, former number one prospect defined as a prodigy, all of these things that come with that. Like this is a massive, massive situation uh, that's going to ripple around Major League Baseball. And I, I read it today that Wander Franco is going to go from the guy that we talk about as what he could be to, hey, you remember that weirdo Wander Franco, right? Like that's basically what this situation is going to be in five to seven years. It's like, yeah, he could have been great if he wasn't an absolute weirdo um, and scumbag, as you said. So I don't know if you have any closing thoughts, but I'd like to move on to something more enjoyable to talk about before uh, before we get too deep into this. I just hope it doesn't change how the Rays do business, just because they've been burned now. If that's what ends up happening, you know, it was exciting to see the Rays lock up one of their young stars for twelve years. We haven't seen them do it too often in their organizational history, and 
Obviously, I think it's a really well-run organization, um, especially the baseball minds. You know, I think of Eric Neander in the highest regard, and hopefully they 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 don't do anything that – I hope they make the right moves in all of this, and, and uh, I hope it doesn't change how they do business moving forward because, you know, and, and the good news for the Rays, if we want to shift it to baseball conversation, I'm very excited to see what or, or Levius – I'm not going to jack up his name – Orlevius or Levis Basabe does – who's going to come up and, and take him, his spot uh, at shortstop. He's also 22. I got to see him play in Durham this summer. He's he's a little, he's smaller guy, but he's pretty tooled up as well. So I'm excited to see what he does with his chance. He's already played out in San Francisco in that series, um, or he played Sunday and then out in San Francisco. So I'm excited for that, for him and to see what could, could possibly be there for the Rays, because as we all know, the Rays have, you know, a ton of talent down on the farm and, and, you know, they can replace it. So hopefully moving forward here, it doesn't affect too much. I don't know if that's affect or effect um, too much with the race do moving forward. It would be affect uh, the verb, affect. Um, the verb go. version you. of it, not effect. Um, yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think anybody's replacing that talent. Um, but that that's where we'll no, leave it at, but and, it's, and it, it's some, they can find the va- at least some form of the value. But that's that was the the face of your franchise. That was your your Fernando Tatis. That was your you know these guys that stick with these franchises for ten plus years. That was supposed to be that for the Rays, and at an affordable price, they ponied up two hundred plus million for him, and now it looks like that's not going to be worthwhile use. I'm sure they'll be able to get out of the contract. I, I would assume so. Um, oh, for sure. I'm sure there's a clause in there, but on to more, I mean, it's not really more positive, but a more light on terms of the, the topics is the Yankees, right? Um, I think as we've pulled into October 17th, somebody had texted me this morning actually and said, Hey, your, your little prediction on the Yankees versus the Rays looks bad, but it also looks correct in the same way where I said, I would rather be the Yankees from here on out. Not the Tampa Bay Rays are not sitting in a great position either. They haven't been playing great baseball. Shane McClanahan is now out for the year. Um, and that's all outside of the wander saga that is going on. But the Yankees have not exactly been good. They're under 500 for the first time since I believe 1995, I believe. Um, so it's been a very, very long time since the Yankees have been below 500. Um, they're not playing well. They're hoping that everybody continues to keep faith. And I think wrapped up in all of this, I mean, Dan, you're you're a Philadelphia Phillies fan. Do you seem some bad years? I was in with the I was a Washington Nationals fan in 2019. Following that saga, you were with the Phillies last year. There's hard times in a lot of organizations, and you have to keep faith, right? And you deal with the fans that obviously are negative towards everybody, manager, management, players, all the things like that that come into play. But it just hits different with the Yankees. Yankees fans blow everything up. They're in spades. They're like little ants, man, on social media. They're like just absolutely infiltrating comment sections and things like that. And then you have John Boy just spreading quotes and things like that across social media to get people riled up, knowing that it's going to get people riled up. You see a base running mistake and it's splattered on social media. And everything they do in that city, in that in those pinstripes is magnified. So in terms of the situation, I think they're dead. I don't think they're going to the playoffs. I think they have to chase down the Toronto Blue Jays, who are a really good team playing really good baseball. 
But where's your kind of head at before we get into the more nitty gritty of what's been getting talked about with their minor league development with the New York Yankees? Yeah, it's funny because of how talked about the Yankees are. I think we had the same podcast at the same time last year. (laughs) I feel like Um, we both, you know, we did a full episode on them uh, then as well. But I think the media has a lot to do with it because it's New York and the market's so big, like the national media covers the Yankees so much more. Um, so you just get way more Yankees content than you do any other team. And just like every other fan base, there's bad fans and good fans of the Yankees. And when you're dealing with social media, typically the, the bad fans have the louder voices in like any topic on earth. That's not just sports. Like if you're on social media, the negative out shouts the positive like a thousand percent of the time. But um, so, yeah, I just think that they're in a, they're in a really bad spot right now. Um, but that happens like it's all cyclical. And I know like Yankees fans, like the whole perception, like that's the other thing is the persona and the perception of the Yankees of they need to be a world series team every year. And if they're not winning a world series once every three, four, five years, then it's a disaster. And obviously they haven't won one in 15 years. And and for Yankees fans, that's, you know, unacceptable as they say, they were, they're, they've been chasing 27 for a long time now. And, and, you know, but this is pretty, when you take a step back, this is kind of, typical for a lot of MLB organizations, right? Where you go through these times where you make a couple bad moves, you have some some injury luck year after year, you don't hit on a couple prospects or the timing. I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't understand too, is like the timing of when your prospects are ready to pop with veterans that are already established that are above league average players is not an exact science. Like you, that's why you just, it's in me and you talk, it's so important to just continuously try and reload your farm system and continuously have, um, you know, continuously try and develop all your players down there. Because if you're just counting on like Anthony Volpe and, you know, Oswald Peraza to pop at the same time as Aaron Judge's peak and, you know, here he hits like 62, like that's really hard. It's an inexact science. You can't do that. But if you can take a hundred shots at it, you know, like the Rays do where they constantly are, are cycling good players through their organization, what it looks like the Orioles are about to tour the Dodgers, it makes it a lot easier to to keep your window open. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of how I view it. And right now they're not in a good spot and they got a they they have a lot of work to do this this offseason, but they're not alone in that. You know, because it's magnified, it feels like they're the biggest disaster in baseball, but they're not. Yeah, and I'm gonna not push back on you with what you said about the prospects hitting at the same time as the veterans where my biggest gripe and complaint with Cashman specifically. So it's not something that you're talking about because you're right in theory that prospects have to hit and be productive right away while your veterans are your core pieces and you have to have that mix of both and affordability and make those right decisions, all of that. My biggest issue with Cashman at this point in time is that we've heard time and time again that this prospect's untouchable, this prospect's untouchable, this prospect's untouchable. And we get to push comes to shove and we're in a position where they could have been aggressive, right? They could have moved some prospects. They could have moved guys in the past that they end up releasing. I mean, Devi Garcia is a great example of that. Devi Garcia was a guy that they refused to trade that other teams had valued and they didn't end up making a move on him. And, and guess who's sitting there again, for lack of a better term, caught with their pants down as the Yankees. When the guy can't find the strike zone at the big league level, you run out of options. And next thing you know, you're releasing them and some other organizations getting him for free. You know, a team like the Guardians or anybody like that who might have been interested in him in 2019, 2020, 2021 is now licking their chops saying, 
ha, look at them. Uh, they're the fool now. So if there's anything, Dan O'Dowd talked about that in the draft, right? Prospects are for two things. They're to replenish your big league roster through production and through trades and through player acquisition. And if you're not utilizing that as best as possible and using them to fill roster spots through trades while also sprinkling in the guys that you believe in to come up and be valuable pieces, that's flawed in your process. The other thing is their drafting has not been very good recently. And I don't know exactly, I can't sit there and point and nitpick, but outside of their first rounders, Volpe was a first rounder, Judge was a first rounder, Austin Wells was a first rounder, Jason Dominguez was a big international signing. All of these guys, they've really struggled to maximize the potential of, you don't see a James Outman come out of nowhere with the Yankees specifically. They have not done a very good job. They kind of take high floor guys in the draft and then they really don't develop them to reach their ceiling. And there's just a lot of that goes into that. So I think in terms of their process, those are two things that they need to reevaluate, reevaluate where they're drafting because the Dodgers, there's no excuses. They draft in the same range and the Dodgers to continue to churn. And again, we're talking about the New York Yankees. We're not talking about the Miami Marlins. We're not talking about the Chicago White Sox. We're talking about the big dogs in this league. They should be on par with the Los Angeles Dodgers in drafting and development. They should be this factory. But where I will defend Cashman because I do believe in Cashman is you're talking about a guy that since he's taken over has never had a below 500 season and you want to get rid of him. That's absurd. Mike Rizzo has been through two rebuilds and he's one of the best general managers in the game. And I'm sure Yankee fans would be clamoring him just because he's won a World Series recently. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, there's two things that I'll fall back on when I defend Brian Cashman. One, guess who you're going to pick up the phone and call Vegas in February and who had the second best odds to win the World Series? The New York Yankees. And I know things happen and injuries happen and preseason hype means nothing. We know that better in football than any sport. It means nothing. But there's something to be said that Vegas knows what they're talking about. They are usually pretty darn close. And when you look at that roster when it came into the season, this is a team that they were talking about as having the second best odds to win. And at the end of the day, there is no concrete way to win in the playoffs. I'm sorry to break it to you, Yankee fans. You've been to the ALCS, which is further than 95% of the MLB has gotten to. They've been to it multiple times. They've been one pitch away multiple times. You thought you were going to win when Jose Altuve hit the home run off of Aroldis Chapman. You're basically down to the last wire of being the team to make it in the American League. You haven't got over that hump. It is an accomplishment in an executive season to get to the World Series. That might not be what you want to hear, but if you're evaluating true value in an executive, trust me, you're going to want the guy who's getting to the ALCS multiple times over the last five to seven years, multiple times in the last 20 years. He's never had a sub 500 because again, do you want to bring in the guy like Mike Rezzo who has these high highs and these low lows? And I get it. He's not the New York Yankees. Or do you want Mr. Consistency and have a chance at getting to the World Series on a year-to-year basis? Yeah, you just threw a lot at me there. Um, I think that from from an out, a complete outsider's perspective, right, I don't have any knowledge of what's going on. It sometimes feels like the, that Cashman in that front office is having a bit of an identity crisis of 
they're trying to be like too many different people, you know, and, and sometimes I think it's better to almost like sink or swim with a, you know, with your foot in the ground and a purpose, you know, whether it's, it's flawed or not, you know, whether it's be overly aggressive, like the Phillies at times, or um, be, you know, kind of a, a prospect development cautious with your money, like uh, the Rays are. And I know a lot of that has to factors into owner money, but I think the Yankees have a luxury where they can be both just like the Dodgers. Right. And I, but I think some, they haven't really found out how to do that. Instead, they've just taken this awkward middle ground where they, they've had to pick and choose the times where they've been aggressive to sign guys like Radon, obviously Garrett Cole way back, Aaron judge. But then there's been times like you said, where they're way too cautious in their prospects and not moving on. And we've talked, you know, on and on and on since trade, you know, before the trade deadline about trade your prospects, like do it. If you can make your team better. And this year was a weird one too, because not only do I think that they don't know which identity they want to be, they're trying to play both sides of it. Like the Dodgers where they're, they can be a player development run organization, but they also have more financial capital than everyone outside of Steve Cohen in the league where they also were sitting at like an 81 win pace at that time. So it was like, they were truly in the middle and sometimes you know, for fan bases, again, like that can be even more frustrating than, than being like, all right, we're tanking. Like if you just come out and say we're tanking, like I feel like that gets more perceived better by the fans because at least they know, okay, we're going to be selling it off. You go sell it off. We're going to try and develop prospects. We're going to try and get up in the, the lottery. We're going to try and draft well. We're going to, you know, we're going to try and do it that way. We're not competing. Then when you turn and go, well, we're competing, but we're going to hold these prospects, and then you end up as an 83-win team. The point you just made, though, is a phenomenal one in the sense that Brian Cashman should have no heat under his seat, right? Like, there sh- he should not be sitting on a hot seat at all. He's never had a, a season under 500, like you said. They're consistently in the playoffs. There's teams who have, you know, I mean, the playoff droughts go on and on and on. The Phillies just broke an 11-year one. When's the last time we saw the White Sox do- win a playoff game? When's the last time Pittsburgh was in the playoffs? When, like, you could just go on and on. And I know everyone says it's different because we're the Yankees and the standard's higher. Okay, that's great, but take a step back real quick. Like you said, Brian Cashman has been on the doorstep of the World Series, not just sneaking in and getting bounced right away, on the doorstep of the World Series multiple times in the last 15 years. So I think that, you know, again, what I would like to see them do is pick a side. Either go be aggressive or figure out how to, you know, get your player development better, which we're going to get into their player development right now. But, like, find a stance and take it instead of kind of trying to be in the middle and being both. It's hard to replicate what the Dodgers do. And, you know, I think that Cashman kind of, you know, is riding down the middle of that road and he needs to, to get to one side or the other. But even then, like, I get what you're saying about be aggressive, but, like, you could argue, like, this offseason, they flat out were. You signed the best position player and the best pitcher on the market. What else do you want? What you, like you said, do don't you hold on. Don't also overhold. Don't, you know, don't be then no, unwilling 100%. to move Davey Garcia. Yeah. Don't be. That's 100%. where, to me, then it's the middle. Right. You go get Radon, you, you re sign Aaron Judge. Those are two huge moves. And then you stop. Yeah. And it's like, well, but it, where. Where bar and again, now I'm carrying weight for Brian Cashman. So for any of our Yankees fans out there who are listening right now, you just know I'm I'm in bed with Cashman right now because I'm carrying weight for him here. But coming into the season, where was their flaw? Their flaw was offensively. Yes, but assuming health, right? We assumed that Anthony Rizzo wasn't going to get a concussion and he looked very good to start the year. 
You assume that, and again, these are assumptions that you can lean more on the side of 50% that these guys were going to get hurt. DJ LeMahieu with a full off season was going to look more like the DJ LeMahieu we've seen in pinstripe. Remember when Yankee fans clamored over the fact that DJ LeMahieu was the anti-analytics. He doesn't strike out. He's a great two strike hitter. All these things. Now DJ sucks too, right? That Aaron judge was going to run into a fence and derail a year where in his batted ball profiles, he's been more productive and more powerful than last year. Right? He's hitting the ball harder. He's having more barrels than he was last year when he hit 62 home runs. And he's the core of your lineup. Harrison Bader was brought in to play center field, be the defensive first guy, put the ball in play. You assume he stays healthy. Big hole in left yeah, field. But big, big hole, hole in, left in left field. I'll give you that. Josh, Josh, Josh Donaldson. Donaldson well, you can't, 100%. Like but you already made hole. that mistake, right? You you're, already you're, made that mistake. You can't bite you're the, $28 million off. <laughs> When a guy you goes can into the if you're the Yankees. No, I think that's but the this point. is my if point. This is my point, though. You go into the offseason. What did Donaldson do really well this year when he was healthy? He hit for power. He was hitting baseballs hard. He was unlucky. And again, we're going to get into this with their minor league development. It's obviously might be something that they overvalue, but it's something I massively value. And if I was running the organization, I would value too. You're talking about a guy who had a sub 100 batting batting average on balls in play. Like, yeah, I think that's going to break. Sorry to break it to you. You know what I'm saying? So, yes, Donaldson, I agree the health thing. You can't agree that the health was going to come around. But in terms of what Donaldson was doing in terms of production for the time that he was healthy at the beginning of the year, and it was few and far between, there were at least things you could circle and go, oh, those are going to start falling for hits. That's going to be more productive. He's not going to have an 090 batting average on balls in play the whole year. That's impossible, especially when he's hitting the ball at 91, 92, what he was when he was peak Josh Donaldson. So those are things that, again, I'm carrying weight right now. Those are all things Giancarlo getting hurt, get it, like he's been hurt his whole career. Donaldson getting hurt, get it. He's been hurt the last three or four years. He hasn't been productive in pinstripes and healthy. DJ getting hurt. You saw it last year. Rizzo, that was a freak incident. The catching situation, Trevino's coming off a silver slugger and an elite defender last year. Um, or at least Trevino one of the most productive. Win a silver yeah, he was one of the most productive catchers across baseball. Martin Maldonado won it hitting a buck seventy one. I know, I know. Um, it was whatever went on with that. But Trevino was supposed to be one of the more productive catchers. And you look at that roster and you could see if these guys come up and produce and stay healthy, the lineup that Again, Mike Rizzo talks about this all the time, and I use him a lot because I, I followed a lot of those Nationals peak years. My goal is to make a team that's going to be competitive in spring and make the additions necessary. Yeah, at the but trade I, again, like I, I think the, the, the roster building was flawed, and it was flawed from the start. Like I, it was I, flawed I, because I hear the guys you were out, old. but I think you're, you're – and they 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 let too much to ch- like building the depth of your organization, which you can do through trades by being willing to move. We sat here and said – one, the Donaldson thing through through April, he had you know five walks. He was nine for sixty one. Not seven of those nine hits were homers. So you're right, there was some power there. One double, five walks in sixty one at bats. Like yeah, he that's before the injuries. Like it wasn't. Yeah, it what still was his hard hit rate? Great. I I would have to go back and here I'll give you his hard hit rate in one second. But um, like to me, it was just there were so like. You're relying on Donaldson. You're relying on LeMahieu. Rizzo, you're right. The concussion, you can't like, you can't predict that. I got you. Bader was a decent move, but like, you're relying on AKF. The Aaron Hicks thing is, had clearly run its course in New York. 
and it had. Everyone had known that. Whether it's at to the Yankees' fault, the fans' fault, whatever, that wasn't working out. The hole in left field has been there for five years now since Aaron Boone took over as manager. And, I, like, there was just too much going. Like, you could have – and then you put all this weight on Anthony Volpe's shoulders, which you and I sat here in April and said, everyone pump your brakes. Everyone pump your brakes. Anthony Volpe might turn out to be a really good player, but it's not necessarily instant. We see it all the time. These highly touted prospects, they come up, they don't just pop as superstars. And Anthony Volpe still could be a really good player. But we knew that this, like, how are we sitting here saying, hold on, he might not be able to be the everyday shortstop right away. That's a lot to put on a kid. This is tough with the other areas of your roster. It's not just fitting them in, hitting them ninth in this super veteran, super talented lineup. Now, again, yes, injuries have, have hurt them this year. But I just think there's been some reoccurring themes here for the last three years that have affected them. And yeah. my only complaint, because again, I'm with you. Brian Cashman is one of the best general managers in all of baseball. He should never get fired. Like if 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 he were to get fired by the Yankees, I would hope he would have a job within two days. And I'm sure he would. Um every every you know, every owner in baseball would at least kick the idea around. But all I'm trying to say is, is, is there are times where it's felt like they haven't, they've kind of teetered on the edge of we're going to be savvy and we're going to go that way or we're going to go big. And to me, it's hard to have that balance like the Dodgers do. You have to be really smart and it can, it, you know, this is not, it's not an exact science and things can go wrong quickly. That's the only point I'm trying to make. Yeah, I'm going to circle back on the Josh Donaldson thing when sure. healthy 92.8 average exit velocity, which is better than his MVP season in 2015 expected batting average of a 217 with an, a real average of a 142 expected Woba of a 349 with an actual Woba of a 277 expected slugging of a 538 with a real slugging of 434, a 51.3 hard hit percentage, a 10% walk percentage. Again, I'm not sitting here and saying I would hang my hat on him being healthy because he hasn't been healthy. He hasn't shown the ability to be healthy. But if you think what I just read is 142, 225, and 434, the fool would be the Brian Cashman to release Josh Donaldson because the fans want him to. And then Baltimore scoops him up, moves Gunnar Henderson over to short, and he goes and slugs I'm not saying he should have released him. I'm saying that... Going into the season, for you to read that triple slash to me, I would if if it was March and you said Josh Donaldson's going to hit 142 with an expected batting average of 217 and slug 434, I'd be like, I'm not surprised. That's where we're at in the point of Josh Donaldson's career. 2015 was a really long time ago. That's all I'm trying to say is this roster had flaws. You would have been shocked if I if we were sitting there in March and I read those numbers to you, you would be surprised. No, but if you told me that he was hitting averaging ninety two point eight exit velocity, I'm not saying that. Take that out slug. of take that out of I'm it. Just, take that out of it. That's not the point I'm making. The point I'm making is, I'm fine. Josh Donaldson. I'm not saying that. I, again, I'm not saying Brian Cashman should be should be fired. I'm not saying they should have released Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson has hit the ball fine this year. My point is, 
is that that was semi predictable that that's the production he had at this point in his career that roster had flaws going into the season it did no, there I'm were not, there I'm not holes disagree. all over that roster i'm not going to disagree that they didn't have holes i'm just saying that if if things broke decent for them this year they're probably in a playoff spot if they might still be a defense, playoff spot that's my other issue yeah, no, like, I, but i don't think that the, they're at a point they are at a really good point for them as a front office and as an organization to pick a side and run with it this offseason because they probably won't make the postseason because you have seen all these flaws. So you can right now, this is a great moment for them to say, we're either gonna go all like go get Shohei and some other pieces and blow Steve Cohen's tax out of the water, or we're gonna take a step back. Now, I don't think they should. I don't think they should. I think they should go make as many retools and be aggressive and try and win a World Series next year as possible. said that before the deadline. Go get it. Go after it. I'm just saying they need to – like I I would hate if next year they roll out like a, well, Rizzo's healthy. LeMahieu had another offseason. Donaldson might be healthy and we go and get one or two other guys. Montas is coming back. Nestor will be healthy this year. If they do that. That'll be really stupid, and we'll be sitting here at this time next year saying the same thing we're saying now. Yeah, I think their biggest flaw was that what the what if, right? We There was a lot of what if Donaldson gets his swing back, and it looked like he did, but that doesn't mean his legs stay under him for a whole 162. What if DJ LeMahieu gets his, his power back from what he was a couple years ago? What if Rizzo can keep the ball fair that he didn't keep fair last year? What if, like, I what get, if Stanton like, yeah, gets new hamstrings and doesn't pull exactly. one four weeks into the season? What if Frankie Montas can get back quicker? What Again, and – Everything outside of Garrett Cole broke wrong this year. On the Luis pitching Severino side, fell uh, we like their cliff. staff. Yeah, I like. I still like their staff. I still yeah. think in name value. I think there's a lot of guys. Nestor Cortez is now out for the year um, after being being scuffed up. And their bullpen has been elite. Their bullpen has been elite. Rod- Rodon has just been. Phew, not good. Hasn't looked like himself. You start to worry Hasn't about the long term like, effects of yeah. of that. And Garrett Cole's been the only guy. So. Again, when push comes to shove, it's like, man, when every when it rains, it pours, right? When it rains, it pours. But you're right. They have to look in the mirror and they have to make a plan of action because their prospects weren't ready. They're not going to be the, – the big group that is kind of supposed to be that next core ain't ready yet, right? They aren't ready. Um, Everson, Everson Perrier is Austin not Wells, in the lineup yeah. today and Austin Wells is not in the lineup today as we speak on Thursday night. Are they getting the call? I think it's worth a shot. I mean, I think with what left field and catcher have been for them this year, I 100% think that's a great idea and something that they should pursue. Um, but I, again, I think their biggest flaw was going into the season with so many what ifs and unanswered questions and then turning around and being shocked, quite frankly, that, well, Donaldson was good. Like kind of like what I'm doing. I'm carrying weight for him. Well, Donaldson was good when he was healthy. Yeah, well, Donaldson isn't healthy, right? And we need somebody that's going to be there when he does eventually fall apart because he is old. He's 37 years old and it's it, 2015 as you said it's a long time ago. But again, I understand the reason why they were still putting him in the lineup cuz every time sure, I pulled yes, him like Yes, if, if you're Aaron Poon, wait until it clicks. 
if you're Aaron Boone and it's April, May, yes, I'm with you on that. I'm not arguing that. Like, yes, you keep running him out. That's who's on That's who's on the club. It's just the same thing that was going on with Trey Turner all year, right? It's like he's still Trey Turner. You keep putting yeah. him in the lineup. Like, that, what do you want him to do? They're not going to make him disappear. Yeah, He's there. They, you keep putting that the contract's still there and the money's still on the books. But they'll definitely have some money to move around. But, Dan, you know what people should be doing with their money? What's that? Heading over to our friends at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a mobile ticketing app that allows users to buy and sell tickets to sports games, concerts, and other live events. SeatGeek would like to give our listeners $20 off their first purchase. All you have to do is head over to SeatGeek.com, use our promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code backside ground ball to get $20 off your first purchase. So Dan, we're, we got a lot of pinstripe flavor going on here. I got pinstripes on my shirt. Uh, so it's only right to make this happen. Ben Ruda, who's a former minor leaguer, um, for the New York Yankees, who was there as he liked to say pre analytics. I was with the Yankees before analytics. Um, even though analytics have been in across baseball for multiple years now, and I've always been a part of it. Um, was very critical of what they had done in their development landscapes. Um, he went on Foul Territory today, which Foul Territory is a podcast with Eric Kratz, AJ Persinski, Scott Braun, a uh, pretty good podcast that they do. A lot of baseball content, no free ads. We'll come on if you want us, guys. Don't worry. Except when Ken um, Rosenthal goes on. <clears throat> well, I would I, I would have Ken Rosenthal on here. I don't know about you. Maybe I'd have to tell you to to take a sabbatical if we made that happen with the way you feel about him. But um, very critical, uh, made some comments, made some rash comments, went on today and kind of not backtracked, but kind of talked about his experience, which is his experiences, rightfully so. Ultimately, um, you know, he's allowed to express his feelings and, and how he viewed that experience. But one of the things that he had talked about was their emphasis on analytics, right? Dylan Lawson, who was the hitting coach for the Yankees this year, was brought in. He was a very analytics guy, analytics driven. He was a guy who had a lot of success in player development. You don't become the Yankees hitting coach without having a lot of success in player development as long as contrary belief of Angelo in Yonkers wants to tell you that this guy came out of nowhere. No, the guy has a track record of success and, and a lot of organizations hire guys that have a track record of success. But as it stands today, the Yankees have a top 10 farm system in baseball. They've shown elite ability to hit balls hard. Their expected stats across the minor leagues are very good. Um, a lot of stats that come out offensively, they're very good. On the pitching side, they've developed guys like Chase Hampton, Clayton Beater, Drew Thorpe. There's a lot of positives going on in the Yankees farm system, but they're developed, they're getting a lot of flack right now. Um, so, Dan, obviously, Ben had a lot of stuff to talk about. We'll get into the nitty-gritty of it, but what were your initial thoughts on, on the things he had said? Yeah, he came across to me as just total sour grapes as a guy whose career didn't pan out and he's upset about it and mad about it and um, kind of like getting his his punches in while he can. He was given a platform to do so um, by foul territory and, and he sounds like a bitter ex-player. And I understand and me and you had this conversation off air. I think that I truly believe that some of the like most people that are against analytics in baseball right now are the players, um, are players who, um, as you put it, 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 it feels like it's devaluing 
devaluing their craft. And I think that's a great way to put it. Um, and so I'm not really surprised to hear a minor ligger who never made it come out and say something like this because it's, you know, it's how a lot of people cope with failure is they point fingers. And, um, you know, I don't think that's the high road of doing things. Look in the mirror a little bit. Um, the one point he did make in defense of himself today was, you know, he felt like they neglected the human side of things a little bit, which I can understand that. And everyone's differently and different and everyone, you know, takes things different. You know, if you go say something to one person, they're going to take it differently than when you say it to another person. That's just how the human side of it is. And, you know, some people are going to be rubbed the wrong way by certain things. But, you know, I, I think the Yankees have done a pretty good job of developing guys. I mean, Aaron Judge, pretty pretty good player. You know, they, they, they've had a, a long track record of success bringing guys up and, and them playing well. And again, like we were just talking in that last segment, I think Anthony Volpe is still going to be a, a really good player. They still have highly regarded prospects because a lot of what guys like Dylan Lawson did. And um, to take shots at a guy who's been fired is is just – it was kind of a low to me. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I listened to him a little bit, and I think the initial – the initial co- comment was sour grapes, right? I completely agree. Um, I think as he kind of had to explain himself, with the, which this usually happens, um, you know, you're kind of going to hear a little bit of more like reasoning, a little bit more of, you know, like I'm not anti-analytics, but this was my experience. And I do want to add in this fact, and, and I know I'm, I'm kind of taking us away from the hitting side, but People forget that Sonny Gray came out on CC Sabathia's podcast around 2020. Um, I yeah. would say is probably roughly 2019, yeah. spring training in that time yeah. frame. And he talked about how in 2017 specifically, he was watching how the Astros operate. They got these computers out, they got these Edgertronics, they've got the Rapsodo out, the TrackMan, everything, whole shebang, right? They're traveling with all these analytics, and he complained that they were behind. Right, that the Yankees specifically weren't giving him the resources to be successful. And I find it very interesting that shortly after that, the transition to Matt Blake has been something that nobody talks about how analytics has saved pitching development in New York. So that's one thing to keep in mind that this is one like we pick and choose our arguments. We have a complete selection bias. We have we want to pick and choose what we want to say and what we want to highlight. And we're not going to talk about that a bullpen of Clay Holmes, who was a DFA, Jonathan Luizaga, who's a failed starter, Wandy Peralta, who's a journeyman, Tommy Canley, Michael King, Albert Abreu, Ian Hamilton, Johnny Brito, Kenyon Middleton is the best bullpen in baseball. So just remember that every time you complain about analytics on the offensive side, which I will agree, it is flawed at this point in time. Obviously, they're putting together the roster they're putting together. That's not winning at the big league level. Just remember that every decision Matt Blake makes has been shown to be successful. And it's very important to highlight that when you talk about the analytics with the New York Yankees, because their analytics movement on the pitching side has been great. Drew Thorpe, Chase Hampton, Clayton Beater, these guys that are now top prospects across baseball and just high impact arms that could be coming up in the next couple of years. Those are analytics babies right there, right? Like those are in the development standpoint of the Yankees kind of leaning more towards analytics, but Back to the offensive side. 
you mentioned the human element. He had mentioned at one point that they told him that he was getting lucky because of his hit FX OPS, which is predictive stats based off of batted ball profiles. And anybody who's listened to this podcast long enough knows 100% that you're going to hear me say expected slug until I'm blue in the face. I'm going to talk about somebody's expected slug before I'm going to talk about somebody's actual slug. I'm going to talk about somebody's expected WOBA before I'm going to talk about somebody's actual WOBA. We just said it about Josh Donaldson, how he was quote unquote unlucky. In terms of what hit FX is, it is just a predictive and evaluation tool. I personally believe it is a very good predictive and evaluation tool. It is a very good baseline evaluation of what a hitter does and does not do well. What it is not is a decision maker. And I think when we look at where the Yankees are flawed, maybe, maybe, I don't have the inner workings of what goes on in that organization, so I'm not going to make accusations of what they believe. But what they think they're achieving is guys who hit the ball hard and guys that draw walks, and that's it. And you look at their lineup, and there's a lot of that. I mean, that's something that Aaron Judge does really well. We're, we don't want to talk about how he strikes out a lot still, but he's obviously the MVP candidate. But building your lineup around those guys that just solely hit the ball hard and draw walks is what they've done. And obviously, it's not translating to success, but this is something that they were emphasizing in the minor leagues, telling Ben Ruda that he was getting unlucky and all the things that come with that and what the hit FX OPS means in terms of how you value talent. Shouldn't everybody be trying to develop hitters who hit the ball hard and draw walks? Yes, Dan, that's a different conversation, though. <laughs> but like that's that's what I, I just don't understand. Again, I don't think there's anybody who's in one of these decision-making positions in major. I find it really hard to believe there may be some because you'd be surprised. But I find it hard to believe that, especially good organizations, an organization like the Yankees, has people in <clears throat> decision-making positions that are letting a lot of these numbers make decisions for them. It's They are taking that information in. They are processing the full picture as you should because if you just small sample size yourself in a game like baseball where the season's so long specifically, then you would, you, you would be making decisions every other day about players, day-to-day about guys, right? For six months of the season, Trey Turner's the worst player. Then seven days, he was great. Now he sucks. You know what I mean? Like stuff like that. I'm sorry to keep going back to Turner, but you could do it with a million guys. Like you could look and you could be like, okay, well, Luis, like we do it in the media. Luis Rise is going to hit 400. No, he's not. Is he good? No, he's not. Yes, he is. He's great. He's like what analytics to me should do is give you a picture, help you see the picture clearer on a player and how to make them better. As far as, you know, the number that you that you keep referencing with the Yankees, the the um, FX OPS, these are just things to tell a story. And again, everyone, I've said this so much on this podcast, I'm tired of saying it. Even how many little league fields do you go to where coaches are yelling at the kids to put it in uh, put it in play hard? Good it's things something will happen. hard somewhere. It's every field like yeah. so. Just because we then put it in a term called exit velocity and put a number to it doesn't make it wrong like it, it's the same concept that has been going on in baseball forever hitting the ball hard we just now have information to measure whether the ball you just hit was hard or not and it is a lot easier to be successful as an offensive player if you hit the ball hard more times than not like 
point blank end of sentence. I'm tired of continuously arguing the same thing because most people are trying to do that to the game he used as an example of, I don't know, he was trying to take a dig at Dylan Lawson, stupid or something like where, you know, pitcher versus hitter where they get into, I would assume no defense or they're in a cage or they're somewhere at spring training. And it's, you have, you can score a run by walking and putting the ball in play at a certain exit velocity. Yeah, because that's going to increase your chance to actually win the game. Also, credit to Dylan Lawson and their coaching staff for coming up with something for minor leaguers with short attention span today's day and age to keep them locked in and engaged in another spring training workout when it's 100 degrees in Florida. Like, that's actually a genius idea. I've texted multiple college coaches since this came out, and every one of them has said, I'm going to use that this year because that's a really good game. Like, I just... And, and I get it from the player's standpoint, if someone was sitting there spewing numbers and information at you that you didn't understand, it'd be really hard to find success. And that's why it's imperative for coaches to understand all this stuff, but be able to translate it. And that might be a different conversation, but it's just frustrating for me that I feel like these conversations continuously happen over and over and over throughout the course of every single season, it feels like within baseball. Yeah, and I feel like going back to the 95-plus walk uh, drill, it's something that we emphasize process, 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 be process-driven. We need to be process-driven. You can't – I mean you only have success in baseball 30% of the time and and you're a very good player, right? By eliminating the ability to get a hit, right? When we start quantifying things like balls in play at 95-plus, balls in play hard – walks and adding those things on top of your typical hit, you start to get a well-rounded picture of what the process looks like, right? So if I went there, I stuck nine guys out in there. I put a gold glover at every position. I put a pitcher on the mound and told Ben Ruda, you're only getting rewarded if you get a hit and he barrels a ball at right at the center fielder at 115 and it's an out and I scream at you, what do you think Ben Ruda's going to be saying at that point? Well, I hit it hard. What else do you want me to do? That's the point. Exactly. Right. That is 100% the point is all we are trying to accomplish as hitters is eliminate the defense, right? Let's put balls in play hard because we know the more you put balls in play hard, the more success you're going to have. We don't have a defense to throw out there. We have guys working through rehab outings. We're just trying to get at bats. We got, you know, social media guy in center field having fun shagging balls. We got, you know, this old, old big leaguer that's out here just helping us out. He wants to play a little third base picket and grin it. Like that's probably the scenario, but context was not given in his original claim. And context is a big part. And again, we go back to our biases and selection bias. It's the same thing when you're throwing numbers at him. Who's to say on that same backfield three days earlier, they didn't work on suicide squeezes. Who's to say they didn't work on putting the ball in play with less than two outs and a runner on third? Who's to say Ben Ruta just flat out doesn't remember that? Dan, do you remember all of your practice plans that you put together in college? No. Do you remember exactly what you did three days before something? I'm sure you remember a really good one, right? I'm sure there's a drill that you did with guys that you remember that you, oh, I remember the day that clicked, right? 
And that made sense. I remember the same thing. I can picture bits and pieces. I don't remember every day that we planned. I don't remember everything we did, especially when you go back to playing career and things we did. I thought a lot of that crap was eyewash. And then I get on the other side and you start to see the value in it. So again, who's to say that we remember everything that the Yankees and Dylan Lawson specifically did, but that one drill that he used to knock what they were doing is something that with no defense with real context of a pitcher just trying to get his work in you don't have enough defenders to throw nine out there and nine hitters and all these things that go into play it's a great way to simplify the game of baseball simplify the process of hitting and allow guys to have more success and feel good about themselves like hey you barreled that ball right at the shortstop you know it might be on the ground but hey man that's all you need to do. Just keep hitting balls at 95 plus and you're going to have a lot of success and a lot of opportunity to make it as a big leaguer. And I think that's something that that we're missing in this is that there is value in that. And that's not even a talk about. I'd love to get back into the hit FX OPS. But I mean, just that alone, focusing on the process and things like that, it's all positive to me. Yeah. And, and we've had, I, I think you using the Sonny Gray example is so, is so important too, because We've we're lucky enough to have had you know we know minor leaguers. We've had gotten to have conversations with a lot of minor leaguers um, while doing this, and how many of them clamor for some of that stuff? How many of them wish yeah. organizations did that that they could be put in those situations? And I think the idea that you know oh they don't like guys if you don't if you don't like analytics then you're not going to do well there. And it's like no like that just tells me that there's a disconnect between player and coach. And again, that's going to happen. That could happen with a guy who. They're not even teaching analytics. There can be a disconnect between player and coach. The translation of that information to the player is so important. And I think it's easy for things to get lost in translation. But the idea that, you know, Dylan Lawson's out there and if you don't like analytics, then you're not going to succeed in our organization. Is It's like, no, the only reason that's going to be the case is if you don't like analytics and you're not buying into what they're teaching, the other guys are probably going to become better baseball players and better hitters than you. And the point that you make that it's you have to be process driven in baseball, especially with hitting, where like you said, you you can everything can go right and you can smoke a ball and it can be an out. If you solely and you hear guys all the time, I mean Jonathan India had that great um, press conference after one of the yeah, games. And everybody early in, praised him for it, but now we're going to fight the process. The, and that's the whole point. That is the process. The process is trying to find the barrel. You know, if you go out there and you try and replicate a bleeder that you get every time you go up there to hit a thousand, it's never going to happen. You can't place the ball. You can only control so much. And that's having good swing mechanics and putting your best swing on the ball. And, and to me, I'll continue to say this too, walking, like I know people don't like seeing it from a fan standpoint, but as far as a player and an organization and a team success standpoint, Getting on base and walking is so important because because of how hard hitting is. If you're a guy who can walk, your 0 for 3 with a walk feels a lot better than 0 for 4. And it can be your safety net when you go through the inevitable slumps in a long season if you're able to get on base. I mean, I just read something today. Kyle Schwarber in his last 25 games has only gotten a hit in six of them. He's hitting 134 in his last 25 games. He's a 360 on base. And I bet you, I guarantee you, that's what's allowing Kyle Schwarber to sleep at night. Is the fact that at least he's still he's second on the or he leads the team in runs or second on the team in runs in those twenty five games in runs scored, he's bringing value. He's in a slump, but he's getting he's still bringing value and that's allowing him and and so like teaching that aspect especially to minor leaguers, teaching them how to control the strike zone 
I think should be like one of the very first things you do with hitters, in my opinion, in an organization is teach guys how to control the strike zone and control their at bats because it's really hard to be a successful hitter. Just is not everybody can be Luis Arias. And it's so funny because when we think of high floor hitters, what do we think of usually? Guys who make a ton of contact, guys who are good bat-to-ball guys, guys who don't strike out. But in reality, in terms of value alone, a high-floor hitter is a guy who can draw a walk consistently. Look at Javier Baez, right? Like, And I know he has swing and miss issues, but like a guy who doesn't draw walks, what happens when you fall off a cliff? What happens when you lose your hand-eye coordination? What was the biggest question mark I personally had with Trey Turner coming into the season? He relies on hits. You rely on hits, and hits are hard to come by in this league, man. Hits are very, very hard to come by in this league consistently over a 20-year career, right? Guys like Miggy, guys like Albert Pujols, who are the best right-handed hitters we might ever see, fall off. They slump. They fall off quick, and they're, they were able to draw walks. I get that. I'm not trying to say that, but it is hard to hit for an extended period of time, and when you have no idea how to control the strike zone, you go from a guy like Trey Turner who hits 320 in Dodger blue to a guy like Trey Turner who's hitting 230 or 240 in Philly's uniform, right? Because that ball that you six inches off the plate that you throw your hands at and bleed through the second base and first base hole is now an out. You swing and miss at it. You chase. Then you look stupid, right? We talk about we, – we saw the video of Trey Turner chasing the, the curveball that bounces six feet behind in front of the plate when he's, when he's struggling. It makes that floor and that peace of mind of knowing this guy's productive, like a Kyle Schwarber, even at his lows – so much easier to put your head on the pillow, like you said, for Kyle Schwarber's sake. So much easier for Rob Thompson and company to still pencil him in the lineup. And so much easier for Dave Dombrowski to know that that guy's there, right? That guy is there. That guy is a guy who's going to be feared. No pitcher's going to throw him a cookie. Nobody's coming middle-middle with Kyle Schwarber tonight as we speak because he can still lose one in the trees at any given moment. And that is something to be valued in that and just the safety net of walks. Though maybe we even need to reevaluate as a baseball community what we consider as high floor as a guy that does know how to draw his walks, those guys that are able to get on base on a consistent basis because that is technically just giving you know routine value right there. Yeah, and, and, and just – I'll never understand the vilifying of it. And like, again, nothing's black and, you know, nothing's black and white. It's, it's, there's always gray area and everything. And, you know, you can't have nine Kyle Schwarbers, right? Like you have to have different skill sets. And I think something that analytics also, and I hate using the term analytics, something that data and having this immediate data with stuff like TrackMan and Rapsodo does is it allows you to be less cookie cutter. Honestly, if you don't have all this information coming in and at your disposal, it's hard to tell the difference a lot of times between this hitter and that hitter. And what's like, well, this is what my idea of a good hitter is. If you're not this, then it's, then you can't succeed here. I don't believe I can't teach you. I can't help you. But if I have all this information to say, okay, a guy like Kyle Schwarber who hits the ball when he does make contact, he hits it really hard. He controls the strike zone. He has a lot of value. A guy like Luis Arias who has unbelievable bat-to-ball skills and can hit line drives like crazy. Maybe he doesn't backspin the baseball. He doesn't generate a ton of power, but he doesn't strike out. That's a guy that we can I'm, – I'm getting this information here. 
I understand it because I have it, and I need a guy like that. I can coach a guy like that up. I can coach a guy up like Aaron Judge. That's what, like, to me, the data has helped grow the game, and there's going to be bad coaches everywhere. There's going to be people who go overboard. There's going to be people who don't understand what they're getting. They're going to, you know, they're going to keyhole in on the one thing they understand. You know, I would find myself at times like, oh, I know what this is. Like, I can understand this metric and sometimes keyhole in on it and you get lost with a player or two. That's going to happen. But as a whole, to sit and continue to vilify, it's it's baseball's boogeyman is the word analytics. Like, to think that it hasn't helped us grow the game, like, these are the best baseball players we've ever seen at the end of the day. We have more guys throwing harder velocities. We have guys who, you know, are, are so talented. Um and I think a lot of that has to do with the information that we now have to help develop players. Well, and even to to go in more of like taking this outside of the Yankees, do you know who leads the league by almost double in batted balls that are 115 plus? I'm going to take a wild guess. Probably the Atlanta Braves who have an offense that stacks up with murderers row. Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody who disagrees with the ability to chase that number of hard hit balls – you're disagreeing with the Atlanta Braves process. And I guarantee if the 2023 New York Yankees were putting up the numbers that the, the 2023 Atlanta Braves were putting up right now, nobody would be questioning anything. It would just yeah, be, ben oh, would just, would have been it would be ho-hum. Yeah. You know, he wouldn't even have said anything. He wouldn't right. have had an outlet. He wouldn't have had an outlet to advertise the shirt and hat that he was wearing that looks like it's probably a business endeavor that he's in post-playing career. And that's not even a shot at Ben Rudd. Do take your – Take your moment in the sun 100%. You deserve this moment to advertise your business, but I'm going to criticize what you in fact said. And the other thing is like the Dodgers, the Tampa Bay Rays, the Baltimore Orioles, the Darlings across baseball, the Houston Astros. The Yankees are chasing teams that are way more analytically driven than they are. You think the Baltimore Orioles are going and ponying up prospects for a Josh Donaldson, an old man who just has a track record of success? No, they're not doing that, right? Or a DJ LeMahieu contract, a guy in Colorado who saw a lot of success from batted ball luck. The Orioles would never sign that guy, right? right? And ponying up the money to do that. And these are the teams that the Yankees are chasing in process. And again, big picture, if you don't think those organizations have hit FX OPS, pulled up on every screen for every prospect that they talk about and whether they're valuing how to how to trade, who to pick up, all of the things like that, you're the fool. If you think the Atlanta Braves who have all these great players just go out and they locked eyes on Matt Olson and were like, we need to get him because our scouts said they needed to get him, not because of what his batted ball profile said and what they believed he could be in Atlanta in that lineup, you're the fool. At the end of the day, you're the fool. And being able to use HitFX OPS as a tool, as a tool, not the end-all be-all, not the decision-maker, but as a tool, more times than not is going to lead to a lot more success for your organization than not. I guarantee the top organizations across the league are using similar if not the same predictive measures to evaluate players. And again, if you don't think that the top teams in the league are, you need to reevaluate what you think about analytics because every good team across baseball that makes good decisions is analytically driven. And I would probably argue 
that the Yankees obviously in their process of player development and player acquisition might be flawed and less new age and less technologically driven because we see what the Astros can do. We see what the um, Dodgers can do with prospects. We've seen what these things and what they're able to tap out of guys is that Position player-wise, the Yankees, as I said, there's no James Altman rolling out competing for Rookie of the Year in pinstripes, right? We even saw Anthony Volpe struggle. So obviously, so, there's a flaw in the process. What would the Red? What would the Reds? What would that Reds team be doing if they were in pinstripes this year? Think they'd be anywhere close to the position that they're in, it, performing <laughs> way over expectation, four games over 500 a year when everybody had them in the bat, bottom third of the league. Yeah, this their year? owner threatened to sell. Do you, do you think that if, if that team was in – like, no, like your point. Like, it's funny that this is happening to the Yankees, a team who isn't even on the far side of it. They're just still – again, they're still trying to figure it out, and they're getting criticized. It's it's interesting. It is a mouthful, this conversation, and it is – I think it's a fun one. I think it's something that I've been, I've been caught up in the weeds on social media with. Um, because it's been such a hot topic recently. But again, it's just something that the Yankees are in a tough position. They've had some tough luck this year. Their process is definitely flawed to a certain extent. Um, I think everybody's process, you could argue, is a little bit flawed. But I think more times than not, they do a pretty darn good job. This information that they're using, Dylan Lawson, Dylan Lawson's going to get on his feet somewhere. Oh, Dylan sure. Lawson's going to be developing hitters that are going to put guys in a big in a position to be successful. It might he might not be cut out to be a major league hitting coach, right? Like I usually say that I, I don't know if I was cut out to be a head coach at any point. I love being an assistant. I love working with hitters. I love being process driven. I couldn't look up at the scoreboard and know that that that's a reflection on me. You know, if, I mean, it wouldn't be a reflection on me. Everybody who knows me would know that, but maybe that's why I wouldn't have the juice to do it. Right. But at the end of the day, some guys are going to be in a better position in other positions. And, and maybe Dylan Lawson's going to get, you know, scooped up by the Los Angeles Dodgers and just be their hitting director and, and just develop guys and, and churn them out like a factory, like they already do out there. But Dan, any closing thoughts before we get out of here? No, this was a fun one. It was a fun one. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you're subscribing to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you find your pods. We post episodes every roughly Monday and Thursday is going to be our goal. I know this is going to come out on Friday. Uh, always hitting your feet at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at BacksideGroundBall. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends, and we'll see you next time on the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Great news. Major League Baseball is back. The college baseball season continues to electrify. And with the help of our friends over at SeatGeek, we can get you out to whatever game you want to see. All you need to do is head over to SeatGeek, find your game you want to go to, and enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to get $20 off your first purchase. Maybe you want to go see some NBA or NHL playoffs. I don't know. Maybe you want to go to a concert with the weather warming up throughout the country. No matter what event you're looking to go to, our friends at SeatGeek can hook you up with the best deals. Great seats at an affordable price. You can't beat it. Make sure to enter promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL for $20 off. That's SeatGeek.com, promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. We are super excited to announce that we are now partnering with Routine Baseball. 
Routine Baseball offers the best athletic leisure options going. We're talking shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could ask for. Perfect for all your events and activities this summer. You headed to a game, throw on a nice routine tee and a hat. How about a cookout? Throw on some routine shorts and sunglasses. You'll be super comfortable, no sweat, perfect fit. I just got fitted in my routine stuff, and it's all I want to wear, and it's all I will be wearing this summer. And you can too. All you have to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have. And you can receive 10% off your offer today. Again, all you got to do is go to routine.com backslash backside ground ball and get 10% off your order today.